This episode of Standard Orbit is brought to you by Audible.com, offering more than 180,000 titles for smartphone, tablet, and desktop. To get a free audiobook of your choice and help Trek FM at the same time, visit audibletrial.com slash trekfm. And also by Enterprise in Space, an international program for the nonprofit National Space Society. Find out how you can help science and education and become a virtual crew member aboard the NSS Enterprise Orbiter by visiting enterpriseinspace.org. Want to join the conversation and share your thoughts on this episode? Join the Babel Conference, our listeners group on Facebook. Just type B-A-B-E-L into the Facebook search field. We look forward to seeing you there. This is Cliff Eidelman, composer for Star Trek VI, The Undiscovered Country, and you are listening to Standard Orbit on Trek FM. Risk is our business. It's like nothing we've dealt with before. My golly, Jim, I'm beginning to think I can cure a rainy day. I can't change the laws of physics. Now in standard orbit, sir. Welcome, everyone, to Standard Orbit, Trek FM's dedicated podcast that covers the original and new cast of Captain Kirk and the Enterprise. I'm Haley Stoddart. And I'm Ken Tripp. Zach is off this week filming Rob Zombie's reboot of The Green Berets. And Haley and I are here to discuss the topic of Star Trek ramping up the drama. Now, in the original episodes, they had red shirts and main cast members really didn't get killed. Now, you fast forward, and that became almost a sport in the 2000s in the last 10, 15, 20 years, you know, but but that wasn't the way it was done for TOS or TNG ever, right, uh, until the movies came along. So I, I thought this would be, and, and, and Haley thought this would be a really good kind of um, segue into, okay, we have all this drama going on now in Star Trek. When did it really start to ramp up for the original ser- series? So, Haley, what are some of the key ways you remember some of the original and even new cast upping the stakes for our heroes? Yeah, so for me, it is interesting that we don't have a lot of that heaviness in in TOS, which is nice. I like the campiness. It reminds me of of watching Adam West play Batman. Star Trek campy? (laughs) No, never. (laughs) But I mean, maybe the Gorn, but okay. (laughs) Um, you know, but yeah, it was the films that really started to kind of get the suspense and, and not so much suspense in, in a horror type, but that, whoa, what is going on? And I think it's, it started, we see a little bit of that in TNG. Um, there's, there's a few things. I mean, there was the epic summer that we were all on pins and needles waiting to know what happened. And then the films, the TNG films, there were definitely a lot. And then from there on out, it just dramatically increased. So mm. one thing you had mentioned, and and this is, I think, really the only time in the original series run that we see anything major was when Edith Keeler died. And, and that was incredibly moving. And I kind of hoped that they would have made it so that she didn't have to. But for storyline and everything and, and the drama that unfolds with, with Kirk afterwards, I get why they did it. Um, what do you think on that one, Ken? 
Yeah, I, that's that's the most powerful moment I remember from the original series. And there's a lot of great drama in the original series. Don't don't get me wrong, but when you talk about like really changing the stakes or doing something that's unexpected, um, usually our heroes, and especially in that era, they always found a way. So to your point, why couldn't they have found a way to keep her alive and avoid, you know, the time track that was happening? And when that occurred. I remember, and everybody does, just how powerful that was. Mm-hmm. And then the whole, let's get the hell out of here. There really was never an ending like that in any of the original series episodes where you just went, whoa. You know, that was deep. There's there's a lot of great lessons learned and allegory stories that go on in Star Trek. But that was one I thought that was probably the most dramatic scene in all of um, the original series episodes, to be honest. Well, and I think the entire episode really builds up to that moment. The relationship that Kirk develops with Edith and everything else that's going on, it just kind of really pulls you in and it really helps set the stage for that ending. And that's, I think, partly why it's so powerful. You you feel it and you can tell that the characters, even though, you know, Shatner was playing Kirk, you, he probably felt it, you know. It, I don't think very much of that emotion was fake. I think it felt really raw to me. Mm-hmm. And that's why it translated so well, I think. And um, it just, you know, we, we talk about today, you know, because, well, you know, TV was still in its infancy in the mid-60s. You know, it was 15, maybe 20 years old. But the, the, the whole idea of serialized television shows and things along those lines you know, really started to, to come along in the mid-50s, so 10 years or so, and, you know, they had censorship and everything was kind of happy-go-lucky, and you had the Westerns with kind of the silly violence and the bad sets, and then along comes Star Trek, and, um, you know, so it's still very much a part of that era, you know, being wagon-trained to the stars, and then to pull an episode out of their hat like that, that was that was pretty powerful, right? It doesn't mean that there wasn't powerful stories in Star Trek or even some drama ones, even, you know, Balance of Terror, other things had come up, and you, it was suspenseful. But that was really dramatic in my mind. Yeah, I, I agree with you there. Um, what are some ones that you can think of, Ken? Well, I, I guess a couple that, that really came to mind for me, um, you know, as as I was lucky enough, I guess, or lucky enough to be around when these movies really started to come out, um, they had to keep upping the game and they had to keep finding more and more ways to kind of, you know, evolve. So Star Trek needed to evolve with the entertainment at the time. And if they were going to put out movies, there had to really be a lot of things that would keep you gripped and sitting in your seats, you know, uh, for, for two hours waiting to see how things were going to, to ha- you know, show up or go on. And, you know, Star Trek, the motion picture, as much as I love that, that, um, that film, there wasn't a lot of drama. I wasn't, I, you know, I knew they were going to save the earth, right? Yeah. You weren't edge of your seat, what's going on, or just no, like, oh, they did that. I, I thought it was brilliant Star Trek. I thought it was Star Trek all, you know, to the core, and I thought it was a brilliant um, plot line and mystery and it kept you guessing and cerebral and all those things. But Star Trek Two, everything changed. Mm-hmm. That's when, okay, you know, Harv Bennett comes in. He'd been doing a lot of TV up to that point. He needed um, real risk. He needed real consequences, and that's that's exactly what he gave us, right? So the, I just think of Star Trek Two as a good way to start. You had Kirk; he has a son. Kirk has a son, you know. There was no nothing, you know, for 
three three years on TV and in the first movie that would indicate that he had a son. Mm-hmm. Shocking that he had a son? I guess not, but dramatic that he had a son the way he discovers him. His son tries to kill him, right? Yeah. And and then a movie later, his son is dead. That is very dramatic. Um, and you had Spock's death also in Star Trek Two, which, you know, we were talking off mic. I, I feel like that um, just doesn't have the impact. It's been so watered down, I think, but, you know, obviously when he comes back. But actually seeing the movie in the theaters and the fake death at the beginning, like that was the teaser, and the whole bridge crew you think is dead for, for all of 20 seconds. Uh, and, and then you're wondering, oh, maybe they won't kill him. And they did. At the time, it was very dramatic. But no, I don't. It doesn't have that impact when I watch it anymore. It just doesn't. And I can understand that. I think for me, it still really is impactful. But just because we lost Leonard. And I know mm-hmm. many fans didn't watch anything with Leonard in it because they just couldn't for a long time. I myself had a difficult time. My kiddo would want to watch the new films. And I would just break down crying. Um, I will say younger fans, newer fans who might not exactly know that Spock comes back, even if they've watched TNG. My -hmm. kiddo, when we watched the films, after we watched the original series, she was surprised when we watched Star Trek 2 that Spock died. And, And she was she had those emotions probably that you similar to what you had experiencing it in the theater for the first time even though you know she's watched tng and i don't know if she maybe didn't make the connection that spock was in tng and it's you know after all of this but she still had that kind of surprise so i think maybe hopefully fans that don't necessarily know and they're new into this will mm-hmm. still experience that they killed spock they yeah. they killed Spock. How could they kill Spock? So yeah, yeah. No, you're absolutely right. I, I guess, like I said, it's one of those things where I, I don't know because Leonard Nimoy is the face of Star Trek and continues to be, mm-hmm. and Spock as a character has lived on right now with with two other actors who have really nailed the role very very well. Um, you know, it's just it's just difficult, I guess, now when I watch it. <laughs> Um, and, and maybe it's probably because Star Trek II, I know for a fact, it has to be the movie I've seen more than any other over and over and over. It has to be. I mean, <laughs> I can't even imagine how many times I've seen it. It was the first uh, VHS, um, you know, uh, movie that was that was put out for con- consumption. I mean, it was 20 bucks or 30 bucks. And they were in the eighty or hundred dollars if you wanted a VHF. It was the full first full. So, yeah, you know, I watched it over and over and over. So I, I guess I can be a little immune to it. Doesn't mean it doesn't have, doesn't bring memories back to when it first happened. But when I was thinking about this list and we were talking about it, yeah, it's definitely big. But for some reason, it just, it just doesn't hit me as much now. That's all. I understand that. I'm glad. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so uh, I, I want to save the, the destruction of the Enterprise because, yes, we, we have that and, and we see that in three, but it happens a lot. It does happen a lot. It does happen yep. a lot. So We can circle back. Yeah, we'll circle back to that one just because it, there's a lot to discuss in this one. So okay. uh, let's jump ahead here 
And let's talk about this crazy madness, holy crap moment of our Starfleet being involved in the uh, assassination attempt on the president of the Starfleet, of uh, the Federation, and uh, killing a a chancellor. Wow, I can't talk today. That's okay. (laughs) It's late, and here we are. We're recording, and we're going to get through this. (laughs) So uh, what did you think of that when you first saw that? shocking right that was you know star trek 6 was was a brilliant movie uh, i thought um and it could have even been better i in in a couple of ways because they they kind of uh, left the political aspect of it uh lower than they did kind of the manchurian candidate approach that they you know became a mystery again uh but when you think about it when you when you step back and you think about what our good guy heroes were were doing um, it's amazing, right? We, we kind of had that conversation last week when we talked about the Enterprise incident. Now, our heroes weren't involved in the conspiracy, but Starfleet was. Starfleet officers were. Starfleet enlisted were. It didn't matter. Just Starfleet was involved in a conspiracy, and they were actively involved in killing the Klingon Chancellor and were just about to shoot the Federation president. That's pretty dramatic. That is even... You, you know, there's there's a piece to this, Haley, too, that I didn't think about till just now that I wanted to bring up. But that was also that 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 extreme prejudice that Captain Kirk had towards the Klingons. Mm-hmm. That line, let them die, is not Captain Kirk. That was a very dramatic thing to say. And it all made us pause and go, whoa, this guy's got some deep scars. Because that's not that's not how we should be thinking. Yeah. I get it. I understand it in our terms, in our timeline. That, yeah, sure. But And maybe in any timeline, you lose a sibling, that kind of hatred will fester. I get it. But um, but yeah, it, it was. I, I thought that was at the time, like, are you kidding me? The bad guys are Federation officers trying to kill their own president? I mean, that's that's a pretty wild concept. They, they, you know, when you say you're reaching to, to grab an audience and to shake people and say, this is dramatic, boy, did they check a big box. And I don't know if it gets away from people just how big that is because it's nothing like we'd seen before. And I, that's, the, that's the point right there is that this is a realm that we haven't seen. I, TNG explores this. We have you know some craziness going on. But up until this point, there wasn't this... Starfleet can be bad or people in mm-hmm. Starfleet can be bad and and that alone in itself is just like wait what it, it shakes the core of what you've seen through all of TOS and what you've seen up through the five films to this point that TOS is going to be kind of or that, <laughs> that uh, Starfleet's going to be the bad guy a little bit here and and that's really just incredibly shocking um i know my kiddo was kind of taken aback by it we'll have to watch six again but um yeah well because i mean you think about it when you said tng is like yeah you can think of conspiracy but they were being controlled Mm -hmm. and there were some episodes in tos where you know captain tracy and some others there's people who kind of lost it but they were kind of individual yeah um and there were circumstances that led to that whereas this was just an all-out we're going to Join up with our our enemy, right, and 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 keep the status quo so that we can all keep quote you know essentially their jobs. Yeah. Right, and 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 keep you know as I, I say, it's very much akin to 
that military industrial complex type idea it wasn't spoken to but they also kind of neglected that the Romulans were still bad guys in this you know but <laughs> it was yeah it was pretty powerful it was pretty it was very dramatic let's put it that way you know and I and I also think you know part of the drama was that that scene with Spock and Valaris that was very dramatic very powerful mm. the re-edit actually waters it down with the flashbacks as to who's who when she mentions the name but in the original theatrical version where she's she's naming who it is under duress of the Vulcan mind meld and um you know that intrusion of oh that was that was pretty dramatic too I kind of forgot about that piece yeah that that scene for me is really difficult to watch it's hard mm. um just because you know Spock doesn't want to do it but and and she clearly doesn't want to give up the information that she's got and she's fighting it and that makes Spock have to work even harder to get that information and it's it is really powerful and incredibly hard to watch mm. yeah well his his voice is broken at the end mm-hmm you know, but yeah, it was mm, lots of drama there in Star Trek Six. The more we dig, huh? It definitely was. I think maybe the most out of all of the films. Do you think for yeah, TOS? I, 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 yeah, I, I think so. Um, you know, we didn't get to know um, uh, Kirk's son very well. I think we liked him, and I, I, I kind of thought that was a wasted death, but I understood the drama. You know, mm-hmm. and and that's what they're trying to do. But in some cases, you know, and I know we'll talk about the Enterprise destruction in a bit, too. You know, you already had that in that movie. So it was like, okay, now now you've got to, I mean, one led to the other. But okay, you know, so he loses his son. And I thought the the reaction to that, that's that Kirk had when he could, when he, you know, basically fell onto the deck. All of that was was pretty powerful and very dramatic. But um, yeah, I, I think it's it's of it, all the movies it probably had you're right all all the suspense and drama that that um all the other ones kind of had combined yeah i would say so so we kind of skipped over one and it's uh spock had a brother <laughs> and god yeah. wants a starship uh <laughs> god wants a starship yeah they swing and a miss uh that's all i can say um you know it it's uh, I, I haven't seen the last episode of Discovery. Maybe after we're done recording this, I'll go back and watch it. But it's never brought up again. <laughs> it's never yeah. brought up before or after this movie again. But and it's just one of those things that is very strange. You yeah. know, I get people are like, oh, he, Spock never mentioned it before and yada, yada, mm-hmm. yada. But Spock even admitted in the original series, people, you can't yell at him for this. He doesn't divulge information that isn't pertinent. Well, that's Having, what allowed him to have. Well, that's exactly what's allowed him to have a sister. Yeah. Was the secrecy of Cybok, right? And they set a precedent. I mean, he, doesn't he never talk even about talked about Sarek. I mean, Sarek comes aboard, and he doesn't yep. even first say, "Oh, this is my dad." He just Ambassador Sarek. Yep. You know, like I get it. Yeah. You know, if you have family I, issues, sometimes you don't mention <laughs> certain people in your family to other people. <laughs> So, yeah. I, you know, I get it. And I think it's interesting just for the sheer drama of the uh, reactions and when people are get all up in arms about Spock had a brother and we didn't know he had a brother and we should have known he had a brother. This is stupid that he has a brother. I think it's dramatic just for the sheer effect that it causes on fans. Yeah, well, you know, I, I guess what kind of watered it down was the whole 
scene where they're in the brig and he's kind of, you know, confessing that he has a brother. And I happen to know you don't have a brother. And he's like, well, that's true. But, you know, it was a different mother. And it just, mm-hmm. you know, all of it just kind of got, it, it became wacky versus uh, powerful, mm-hmm. you know, because it should have had more of an impact. And I think written a little differently, it could have. So you understand why he couldn't shoot him. I don't understand why he couldn't like shoot him in the leg, but whatever, you know, I mean, he, he did what he did, but I think it, it would have been a very dramatic thing for Spock to have a brother because we, we didn't see it coming just like Kirk having a son. Um, but with uh, the treatment of David, their embrace, all of that, um, was powerful. Cyborg sacrifice at the end of the movie, just too many goofy things went on and it just was like, it, it just didn't have that impact. And, you know, in Spock's reaction to his brother's sacrifice wasn't that powerful either. You know, he, you, yes, he lost a brother, but it wasn't that powerful. Do you think that potentially the writers were saying, okay, well, we gave Kirk a son, so we've got to give Spock a brother? Like, uh, do you, can you see that? We gave Kirk a son and then we, the son dies, so then we've got to give Spock, like, something... Obviously, not necessarily a relationship, but we've got to give him like some kind of something similar to have that. So they were trying to go for that same effect as David with Kirk, maybe? Yeah, I, I guess. So, so, you know, it was Shatner himself who came up with the story. And, you know, in, in any good movie, to have tension, to have risk, you know, anything to up the ante is, you know, you bring a relative into it, right? Mm-hmm. Because oh my, this is different. It's a shocker. Nobody expected this. Um, you needed a reason for Spock not to shoot. You needed you needed a lot of things to fall into place. And that was a, a clever way of doing it. It just wasn't executed very well. No, I, I'll, I, I'll I agree with you that there. Way, you know? I agree but with yeah, you there. I, I'm, I'm sure it's I'm sure what you're saying is, is accurate. But, you know, David, David Lowry and... Um, and William Shatner, I I don't know if they if they were like tit for tat or if they were just like ah this is this is how we get there, gotcha. you know. And this is what would, and and William Shatner's original concept was, everybody betrays Kirk, including Spock and McCoy, and it was Leonard Nimoy and DeForest Kelly that were like, no bloody way, you know we wouldn't you don't know our characters well enough. So they they actually changed the story so that they did not fall under um, Cybox. Trance, spell, whatever you want to call it. Mm-hmm. Be healed. <laughs> whatever. <laughs> I do like the notion, I will say, with Cybok that he is the re- part of the reason why Spock's never mentioned him is because he didn't choose the way, the Colonar way. He, he wanted sure. to kind of remain how he was, which is why he's kind of got crazy hair and he's got a beard so I like that aspect of it um just because it, it is different he is a different Vulcan and that is shocking and I think that you know they were trying to show this is what Spock could have been like if we hadn't made him this logical rational being if he had stayed the way that they were so I like that uh kind of difference there yeah, yeah, yeah. They, you know, Lawrence Luckenbowl, I thought did a brilliant job in playing him. Mm-hmm. Probably one of the better um, guest stars that they've had in any of the movies. He he gave it its all. It just it just didn't resonate as well. And you know, a couple of tweaks here, or you took out the kind of the the goofy comedy because they were trying to get that Star Trek Four vibe in mm-hmm. with a serious tone, and they got kind of a mishmash. Yeah. Um, 
you know, if if they had played this holistically like a a very serious movie with you know the occasional humor, but but not the goofy antics that you had in in this one or the silly lines, mm-hmm. you know, and it just um, it it could have been a more powerful, longer lasting character that we all would have you know learned to appreciate because he really was just misguided. He wasn't truly evil, right? It turns no. out. You know, and he really was getting a signal and he was, you know, he, he, he was desperate to get what he wanted and he found a way, but he didn't want anybody to die. He didn't want anybody to get hurt. He turned the ship over as soon as he got to where he wanted to go. So there was a lot of reasons we could have really um, connected with him had it been executed better. So I do hear you there and, and you're right. It, it, you now know what Spock would be like if he had emotions. Yeah. <laughs> you know? well, that was a great concept. It threw everybody off, you know. Yeah, I I completely agree with you there. All right, so let's discuss before we get into the to the newer films because I think that's where we've seen probably outside of Edith Keeler dying, I think some of the heaviest drama. Mm-hmm. Let's let's discuss the destruction of the Enterprise and the numerous times we see it. Which is your I want to say favorite, but it's hard to say that because it's also really sad. So, like, what is your favorite? version of it even though it's heartbreaking to watch well in the original series right there's 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 only two where it's completely destroyed and that's star trek 3 and star trek beyond Mm -hmm. and both were incredibly emotional right um i would have to say that the star trek 3 destruction was hard for me to really watch because one i love that ship um in the enterprise one of the things i did not like about the movies at all and be it TNG or TOS or any of them is that the ship is just a vessel versus a character okay and and to me that was that was wrong um I I felt like in Star Trek 3 that it was a great plot point it was very dramatic the way they did it and it was very emotional the way it burned up in the atmosphere Mm -hmm. and they were watching it and it was the only thing I would say is that scene could have been maybe another 10 or 15 seconds longer with a little bit more heaviness because um, to me, I know people will get mad at me, but the Enterprise to me was as important as Spock. And, um, you know, and its death, while it was done in a very classy way, and it was emotional, it could have had just another beat or two um, and a couple of more conversations uh, about it, you know. I mean, it was what was said was great, you know. You did what you had to do, you know, what mm-hmm. you always do. Um, and and you know, God bones, what have I done? You know, looking at the ship. But it wasn't that. It, it could have been more, um, in my opinion. But uh, that that was that was very emotional, just because of my attachment to it. And I was almost like, man, you're crossing a line. <laughs> you know, to me, they were crossing a line. Um, cause you, you wanted that ship to be, um, uh, like I said, it was a crewman. It was, it was a character. It was, it was Star Trek to me more than anything else. The enterprise was Star Trek to me. And I see your point and I completely agree with you that the ship is, is a character in itself and, and people attach to the ship. And when you think of Star Trek, you think of the ship and you think of Spock. I think most people would identify with those. And I agree that, the destruction in Star Trek Three is—it's really they set it up in such a way that it is really dramatic. It's this—it's slower paced and it's 
it is hard to watch but I will I will say for me beyond that scene just it makes me cry mm-hmm. oh it's emotional yeah it yeah. watching that absolutely makes me cry and it's so choreographed and I know it's CGI but it's so well done no, it and wasn't it wasn't Actually, it wasn't not in Star Trek 3 it wasn't no not in 3 but in Beyond Oh, and beyond! Oh, you flipped on me. I did okay, flip on you. Now you're talking you. beyond. Okay, I, you changed the I was channel. saying beyond, beyond was beyond the one that makes me cry. I love the. Oh. I I do agree that the destruction in Star Trek Three is is very dramatic, and your attachment mm-hmm. to that ship, I I understand. Um, in Beyond, it it does make me cry. Well, Beyond is powerful as well. I, I yeah, the I, film I'm itself. Sorry. I, I didn't realize we were doing a compare and contrast right away. We were just talking <laughs> sorry, about Star Trek III, so that's okay. That's I okay. did. I I went there. <laughs> That's okay. That's well. I, I well. I well. First of all, let me say I agree with you. Um, I thought that the um, watching the ship get taken apart piece by piece, um, you know, and having no defense against it. One, it was damn clever. Yeah. The way it was the way it was done, and um, you know, and it 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 died a very slow, painful death. It really did. Well, and, and so yes, it, you're right. It was all CGI, but they could do things. Like, that, uh, uh, yes, yeah. Kennedy's. <laughs> well, I'm, I, you know, I'm thinking about uh, in Star Trek Three the way they destroyed the ship. You know, with the saucer section and that huge explosion. Mm-hmm. Um, you know that that was all. Those were all practical effects. Well, yeah, and done brilliantly. I oh mean, it yeah. Was like, you saw that explosion. You didn't expect to see the ship after that explosion, and then no it was just a horrific explosion and, and you know the ship was still intact it was destroyed but it was all in one piece for the most part except for the primary hull yeah but what they did and beyond was um i thought yeah incredibly emotional oh absolutely um you know i i can't say i was a real fan of that design of that enterprise as much as i was the the movie version in the, the tos original series movie, movie version but um yeah, uh, I agree with you. That is that is a very very powerful scene. I think watching it come apart. Yeah, yeah. and it, it's hard, but I think the the line that really gets me is when you know they're trying to leave, and and Scotty says to Kirk, he's like, "The nacelles, they're gone," and and you just see them break away, and you're just <laughs> it's 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 so hard. Yes, it is. It is so. I'm with you there. Okay, now that we're on the same page, I'm with you. <laughs> I will agree with you, though. I watching Star Trek Three. You know, if I hadn't seen Beyond before, I had seen Star Trek Three. I agree that that destruction and it is really, really powerful and it's really well done. It is. It is. Yeah. Okay, so we talked about the destructions of the Enterprises, <laughs> um, and that was yeah. Both both movies. Um, they did it right. Like I said, I just wish there was another drumbeat or two in Star Trek Three. Mm-hmm. But in Star Trek Beyond, it was such a slow and painful death. It was almost like you wanted it to end mm-hmm. because it was just tearing your heart out. Yeah. And yeah. I get that people don't particularly like that version. It's too shiny. It's too clean. It's too big. It's it's whatever. I I agree. It's it is a little too shiny, but I also get why it's shiny. I mean, these were newer films. And it oh, is, I, but it's still I, yeah. really beautiful. Like I, I love the bridge. I thought it was really beautiful. Oh yeah, yeah. Hey, listen, you know, bigger, stronger, faster, powerful enterprise. I, um, I, I, I think the only thing I, I it was really like the engines or something. It, it just it wasn't as symmetrical. Mm-hmm. Uh, but the inter- the interior shots, oh, they were great. Yeah. No, oh, they were great. I, I thought, um, 
I thought the bridge was phenomenal. You know, and, and you know, I, th I think the the new series has taken on that look. It's just not as shiny, but it's the technology's all there. Yeah. You know, so well, I, yeah, no, I, I, I think it was a very cool bridge. Yeah. It's interesting, you know, because some people are complaining that Discovery's bridge is too dark, and then people complain that uh, the O nine films, the JJ films, are too bright. <laughs> <laughs> mm -hmm. Yeah, I you know I I, I believe that the um, the bridge sets for the uh, the original cast movies were were the best to date. Oh yeah, um, they were the they were the right size, mm -hmm. and they were the most practical. You know, I think the the motion picture bridge, every function was outlined. You knew what it did. It got a little lost as the other. When Nicholas Meyer came in, he's like, I don't give a crap. I just want shiny lights and blinkies and this, you know, and he, <laughs> yeah. you know, fire extinguishers and no smoking signs and things that just were like, oh, okay. <laughs> you know? But, but um, I, I really thought that J.J. Abrams' bridge was more, it, it was compact. Mm -hmm. It made it sense. You know, you know, it's it's funny to me how in Star Trek, the smaller the ships, the larger the bridges. It just doesn't make sense to me. Yeah, Voyager <laughs> was the same way. Huge bridge. Um, and uh, Discovery's bridge, way too yeah. big and impractical. I, I feel I like mean, they shout at each other. It's, it's they way have too to big. shout each other out each other because otherwise you're not yeah. going to hear. There's too much space. Yeah, my my guess is it just makes it easier to film. You know, because you, you your camera people can walk around and have some space. Because they always talked about the um, the bridge of the Enterprise being a very very difficult thing to shoot, mm -hmm. which I can get. You know, so you had to probably have a ton of different cuts as you're taking a while out here or moving here and there. So I get it. But um, yeah, it's it's not practical. How did we get here? That's not dramatic. <laughs> I don't know. It's a tangent. It's all right. We do it all the time. We definitely do. Okay. What else did you have on your list there? All right. Um, I think pivotal moment uh, for the JJ films, and this is on, you had mentioned it, but the death of Kirk's father in mm. the 09 i i still tear up a little bit with this it's what he did and the sacrifice and it's saving everybody and i think for me it's it's the moment when he hears that kirk has been born and they're talking about what are we going to name him and then the transmission ends and it's just it's really just wow i <laughs> Well, if if there's a scene where I always tear up and the the drama is not lessened in time, it's mm -mm. that, right? So there's some pretty powerful dramatic scenes. I mean, we lose Vulcan, which is powerful. Yeah. We lose Amanda, which is powerful. So the movie itself, L9, is very dramatic. Uh, but that very first scene was probably the best filmed scene in all of Star Trek to date, in my opinion. The... Um, the setup was powerful. The music, oh, the music, was beautiful and slow. You know, so you have things blowing up, and 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 it's almost counterintuitive. Mm -hmm. You know, because it's not bombastic. It's not everything. It's, you know, you have you have death and destruction and life and birth in the same scene. It's it was just wonderfully done. I thought it was um, one of the most brilliantly choreographed timed emotional moments uh of of anything ever done in star trek nothing nothing has topped that as far as hitting those emotional buttons and maybe that's part of like being a parent whatever it is it's just that wow you know that was that was incredible it really yeah it really really was and 
every time we watch it, like I said, I, I still well up. And I part of it for me definitely is the music. The score for the J.J. films, especially the first one, really, really shakes me and moves me to my core. I, I It's probably my favorite of, of the film scores. And that music in that scene is just really hauntingly beautiful for what's mm-hmm. what's going on and um and like you said you know we this movie in general is very dramatic um watching vulcan be destroyed and seeing amanda die and the emotion and the drama that spock experiences afterwards and is just i can't even you look like you're gonna lose it right now <laughs> Are you okay? Mine just a little bit. <laughs> okay. Well, you're right. You're absolutely right. Um, and I know a lot of people, you know, have different and varied opinions on what J.J. Abrams did with, with mm-hmm. Star Trek. And uh, I disagree with all those negative nannies out there uh, on that. I, I think that um, 09 is a, is a brilliant film. Um, Star Trek Into Darkness, while I don't like it as much as a Star Trek film, it's still an incredibly, uh, you know, powerfully visual well done made movie it's a it's a great action adventure it's it's not very star trek and the rules don't apply very well there but they bring it all back and beyond but no that that first movie was was great i think that um uh it's it is probably one of the more powerful it's funny you know because you're always trying to up the ante when it comes to these things and um you know they they just they just did it right when it came to that so yeah you're right you're you're right about uh G- i don't know if i say his name right all the time but giacchino giacchino yeah his his um his music uh was as good to me as jerry goldsmith's was in the original movie it really was both both seemed to hit it out of the park as far as you know having having that right emotional feel at the right moments uh, so, so i agree one one thing uh, I will mention from Star Trek Into Darkness, the mm-hmm. death of Pike. Yes, that that's a great call out. It's that a great call out. scene, I cry, I cry at that scene every every time because not only do we have you know the emotion from Pike and and everything, but then Spock and. And then Kirk comes in and Kirk sees that he's gone and Pike was kind of like a dad to him. And the drama in that was really, really powerful. That that scene leading up to it and, and everything, I think the setup was really well done for what's going on. And I, what do you think? You're right. Um, it was a very powerful, dramatic moment. I didn't expect uh, it. I loved Bruce Greenwood's um like mm-hmm. right? he he was a farther figure um he he played him really cool i i know it's different now you know you got anson mount and he's very very different character and 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 all of that but bruce greenwood he i wonder if pike would even be in consideration to be in these stories had he not brought that character you know more into the forefront yeah. because he did such a brilliant job with him and a lot of people connected with him how could you not you know he was he was he was very strong uh, a leader um and that scene at that point in the movie you know before the movie didn't get away from us at that point right it just didn't no, and yeah. his death was was very very powerful and i thought that uh, chris pine's reaction to it even spock's 
mm-hmm. you know, where he's doing the mind meld and you see him shudder when he's gone. All of that, you're right, was really, really well done. So that was a big miss on my part and a huge win on your part bringing that up because that was very dramatic. Good well, job, Haley. Thank you. I Like I said, I, I didn't expect that to happen and I think it really sets up and yes the rest of the film and most people don't like it it kind of gets away from us but I think you can understand the rest of that film because of that one scene you know Pike meant a lot to both Spock and Kirk and from there on out everything else was because of that I think yeah and and it's you know that's you know as I as I think about the death of the Enterprise in Star Trek 3 and not having enough reverence towards the ship it had it had quite a bit i just wanted more that's me you know i'm a glutton um in 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 pike's death it obviously it changes the whole tone of the movie to one of revenge and kirk is on a is on a tear and all of that stuff uh which you know gets them going again puts them back in command all of those things what they what they didn't do though was take the time to um to remember him Mm -hmm. the way they should have you know, the scene was dramatic and whatnot, and it got in that pacing, right? That that JJ pacing is like, okay, we got to go. Yeah. He's dead. You know, maybe it was the right drumbeat as far as that death scene. But, um, you know, it, it, there could have been a little bit more afterwards, I think. But it is what it is. Are there any others that you can think of? No, I think, I think we hit the ones that uh, are the most emotional to me. I am sure, though that as this topic as we discuss it and people listen and they want to contribute their thoughts i'm sure there's a lot we're missing just because there's a lot of star trek out there Mm -hmm. and how i defined it and how we defined it coming up with this you know was kind of the shock and awe impact like oh my god we didn't see it coming or you know it, it just really resonated emotionally and i think most of star trek because it is optimistic and upbeat it, it doesn't do that. It gives you a different feel. It gives you that, that hope and feel and wonderful joy and, and sometimes the happy tears. Yes. But um, <laughs> these, these were more of the ones that you went, oh, I, 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 did, I wouldn't have expected this from Star Trek. Yeah, and it will be interesting because, like you said, everybody defines it just a little bit differently. So I hope listeners have some good shout-outs and call-outs and ideas for us to kind of ponder as well. It'll be interesting yes. to see. I'm sure they will. Was there anything else you had? You know, I'm trying to sit here and think if there's anything else with like the JJ films that I really thought were powerful. And I mean, obviously, just because of the Spock of the 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 death of Leonard, you know, the opening when Spock opens the box. That was a powerful one. Yes. Yeah. Yes, that was very dramatic. Yes. Who didn't cry when they showed the original cast picture? I, I don't know anybody. You have yeah. I want I want the names, <laughs> and then Haley and I are going to come visit you, and we're going to make you cry. Yes. <laughs> um, I don't mean with violence. I mean with like onions or something. But we'll make them cry. <laughs> very 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 strong onions, <laughs> and a whole lot of them. Um, you know, and I think that's that's powerful just because, and also the unexpected that you know both Kirk and Spock were considering moving on and that Mm. was that was a little dramatic and a little unexpected and the fact that they decide not to at the end was was kind of powerful too Mm -hmm. oh wow look at you 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 pulled two very very big powerful moments that 
uh, I hadn't considered at all for for this. And um, now, as I think about it, I start to get more emotional. So yeah, very well done, Haley. That thank you. Yeah, yeah. I mean, they you know even at the end credit when they they put in you know in remembrance of Lynn Nimoy and mm-hmm. and um, Anton. Anton. I was gonna say Alton, but Anton. Yeah. Yeah. You know, that was yeah. Elton. Yeah. Anyway. Wow. Wow. Okay. We've got to, we've got to pull ourselves up a little bit. We don't want, we don't want people being too sad <laughs> listening to this show. Right. This is true. It is true. But, but, uh, it was a good discussion. I think just like these are dramatic moments. It's hard to make a, it's hard to put a happy face when you're, when you're thinking emotionally about stuff. It is. And, and like I said, I think I probably would have been fine, but then I remembered Pike's death and, and that just kind of, yeah, that brought it down. <laughs> That's my bad. <laughs> Yes, yes. Um, yeah, I, at, at least um, the way he went out in the JJ timeline or the Kelvin timeline was somewhat quick, although he did suffer a bit, mm-hmm. but nothing like he did in the original series. Yeah, no, not at all. So I, I think it was, it was beautifully well done and very powerful. Mm-hmm. So. Yep, yep. It would have been nice if they could have stuck around, but it did have the impact they were looking for. It definitely did. Mm-hmm. Well, drama in Star Trek isn't the only topic we're discussing this week. Here's a preview of what else is happening across the network. Previously on Trek.fm, The Edge, a Star Trek Discovery podcast. He's like, oh, we can't be vague. And he's like, I'm not doing it. Is that vague enough for you? Yeah. That was so great. I know. Yes, Tyler's having these little quip answers, quick-witted, you know, when he's talking with uh, Giorgio, and she's like, I'm going to trust you, but if you betray my trust, I'm going to hunt you down. Literary Treks. And we have the USS Titan, and they're, they're going so far as to make modifications to people's quarters and the different living arrangements to account for various alien physiologies and all that sort of thing. Because not only do we have just a diversity of alien species, we have a diversity of people who aren't even humanoid, which I think is a really cool thing. And something, you know, you can do that in a book at the time more easily than you could on television, for sure. So I think they make really good use of the medium to present us with a crew like this. Warp 5. Because he had a near-death experience, he's now all of a sudden upset that T'Pol won't admit her feelings for him. Right. Right. And now, look, I can understand how the near-death experience triggers that, but this, the payoff of him asking to leave should have happened three episodes from now. Yes, he should be grown up enough. Earl Grey. I mean, of course, the difference with Geordi and Data is that they're regular characters and they're in almost every episode. <laughs> so there's more of that potential for interaction and Guinan isn't in it as many. And I know it wouldn't have been as possible at the time, but I can dream about the next generation starting with Guinan being like a regular there every week. I mean, hey, you know, Quark's a bartender and he's a regular on DS9. Why not Guinan? <laughs> exactly. Exactly. <laughs> Let's go back in time and change that. And that's what else is happening on Trek.fm. So check out these shows and find out what we're talking about in your favorite corner of the Star Trek universe and beyond. You'll find us wherever you get your podcast. If you're an Apple user, get the show on iTunes or the Apple Podcasts app. Be sure to hit the subscribe button. That helps us out greatly and makes it easier for other listeners to find the show. 
If you're not an Apple user, we've got you covered as well. You can find our shows on Stitcher, TuneIn, Speaker, SoundCloud, Windows Phone, and of course, you can stream and download the MP3 file from our website and grab the RSS link as well. If you would like to get in touch with us here at Trek FM, you can always find us on trek.fm slash contact and look in the sidebar on the show page. Or you can go to speakpipe.com slash trek.fm and please leave us a voice message. You can also contact us through Twitter at trek.fm, Facebook at facebook.com slash trek.fm, and the Babel Conference. Type the Babel Conference, that's B-A-B-E-L, into the search field on Facebook or go to our website at trek.fm and click discussion on the menu bar. Another way you can help us keep all of our shows coming to you each week is to become a patron of the network on Patreon. If you visit patreon.com slash trekfm, that's p-a-t-r-e-o-n dot com slash trekfm, you'll find our current goals and different milestone contribution levels along with all the great perks we have for you. These perks include early access to content, exclusive content, producer credits, seats on our content development team, and more. We really appreciate any support you can give us and hope you'll join the team. Again, you'll find the details at patreon.com slash trekfm. Speaking of Patreon, thank you as always to our associate producers for Standard Orbit. They are Norman C. Lau, Nick Anastasio, Tim Robertson, Richard Marquez, Corey Elrod, and Dan Rhodes. You guys, uh, your, your contributions, your help, your support mean the world to us, and we appreciate you being associate producers on Standard Orbit. So to find me on the interwebs, you can find me on the Babel Conference. I'm there all the time. Or you can find me on Twitter at BostonSCPO. As for me, you can find me on Twitter at MoronZach. That's M-O-O-R-E-O-N-C-A-C-H. And I'm also the host of my own podcast, Always Holding on the Smallville, where we talk about each and every episode of that Young Superman show. You can find us on Twitter at AlwaysMallville with one S. You can find me on Twitter. I am at Trekkie01D. Celebrating Trek Tuesdays. That's tomorrow, everybody. Wear your Trek. Yes, and use the hashtag TrekTuesday. So thanks, everyone, for listening, and join us again next time here on Trek FM for another episode of Standard Orbit. <laughs>